Today, I'm going to be talking about some difficult stuff. And all of you know I don't shy away from that. As I'm talking about the difficult stuff today, if at any point you wonder how in the world do people do such a horrible thing, I'll answer that question next week. Okay? (laughs) So, next week's passage is Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. I will be, uh, we will be returning back to Romans, and we plan to finish out chapter 3 and chapter 4, and then we're going to take a break from Romans and move on to something else. So that's our passage for next week. Write that down, study it at home. If you, if you are with your family, study it with your family before you come. Today, our passage is Job chapter 29, verses 11 through 17. If you're using the Blue Bible on the table in front of you, it's page 481. Most of us know the story of Job. Job was a man of great wealth. He was very blessed by God. He was a very godly man. And all of that was taken away. He lost his entire family. And he went through a period of intense loss, grieving, and suffering. And in our passage today, he is recalling his former life before he lost everything. In our passage today, he is recalling his former life before he lost everything. So, in the summer of 2020, you all remember George Floyd and the awful thing that was done to him. I preached on, uh, one or two weeks later, I preached on Micah 6-8, where the command is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I began praying at that time, Lord, how do we as a church do justice in our community? Over the summer and, you know, into September, I was rethinking how I thought about pro-life ministry. And I've made the shift from a more gradual, typical, more common pro-life approach that many organizations and politicians embrace to an abolitionist approach, which calls for the immediate abolition of every form of legal abortion. And as I was seeing the things in the scripture that I was seeing, and I was realizing the nature of the more, learning more about the nature of the battle that we were in, I preached a four-week series in September called Not a Private Faith. And during those four weeks, I unpacked Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, Seek justice and correct or stop oppression. It took four weeks to unpack that. Because okay, that, that's I didn't grow up church, in church people teaching me how to stop oppression. How many of y'all grew up in church doing that, learning how to do that? Okay, <laughs> Some of you are. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. But many of us did not. And so I'm learning. I'm growing in this. And we took that four weeks and, and we, we just, you know, I, I just was crying out, trying to say, you all, that this being a Christian thing isn't just... You and Jesus. It's just not, it's not just you and your quiet time and you having that personal relationship with Jesus. 
It is that and so much more, you all. It is not just for us to speak the truth in this building, but not to say anything anywhere else or not to do anything outside of here. But we are called to be a prophetic voice to this world, and we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, seeking justice, stopping oppression, and doing all the things that we're going to see in our passage today. So in September, instead of just praying, Lord, how do we do justice? I began to pray, Lord, how do we do justice and stop or correct oppression? So that's what I was praying. So that brings us to our passage today. Job 29, verse 11. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. This is Job speaking. This is not God. And he's recounting his former way of life. When the ear heard, when other people heard about me, they called me blessed. When the eye saw, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. You all, this is the word of God. I pray that he would bless our discussion time. And the preaching of it today. Take a few minutes and read it to yourself. And when the time is right, discussion leader will begin the discussion. I want to begin today by showing a short video. So if you would, turn your eyes to the screen. And uh, this video is just going to highlight an absolutely horrible problem in our nation. And later on today, I'll share a story with you about a woman who went through what is being shared in this video. Detectives are investigating the discovery of a deceased infant found in a creek. The search is on for the mother of an infant dumped inside a trash bag outside an apartment building in Jersey City. Employees at a grocery store made a shocking discovery when the body of a newborn baby girl, had to be only a couple days old, was found in a trash can. A tiny baby girl, lifeless among paper, cardboard boxes, and other recyclables. It's just heartbreaking to think that somebody dumped a a, a day or two old infant into a trash can. How this baby girl ended up in the dumpster has a lot of people asking questions, especially with the safe haven laws that are in place in Indiana. That law protects a parent in that situation from being prosecuted for abandonment. Obviously, in this case, that 19-year-old mother will be facing an attempted murder charge. Getting our first look at baby Chloe since she was left in a plastic bag outside an apartment complex. She's healthy 
and she's ready to go home. The best news, as you said, is that baby Chloe is healthy. She was discharged from Texas Children's Hospital this afternoon. But what is in limbo is finding this baby girl a permanent home. Safe Haven Baby Boxes. So that, that is uh, tragic and disturbing that that happens. That this, this is our world today, and some people who do not want to raise their child do leave their babies in dumpsters to die. And that is illegal, as we just saw. But there's many women who do not leave their babies in dumpsters, and they um, take an option that is allowed by the laws of our land, and they murder their baby in the womb with an abortion. So, in our passage today, in verse 14, we have the idea of justice. Job said, I wear justice like a robe. I put it on like clothing. I wear it like a turban. What is justice? It's a word that is, has its own definition outside the walls of the church. And there's certainly some overlap between the world's definition of justice and the Bible's definition of justice. But there's a a lot of ideas out there about justice that are not biblical and that can lead us astray. I told you uh, a year and a half ago, I preached on Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. You know, Job did justice. We just read of all the good things that he did. We are to do justice. We are to do the things that Job did. But I want to look at the scripture and learn more about what justice is and catch some details about this idea. So grab your Bibles. I got about 10 verses. I want us to flip through and find every one of them, but we'll go in order. Start in Deuteronomy, if you would. We'll almost go in order. Go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Page 161, I'm flipping to. Uh, you know what? If anyone calls out a page, let's call the page out of the chapter. And I haven't said the chapter yet. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, 4 to be exact. Page 193. Deuteronomy 32, 4. It says, The rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. The rock, speaking of God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Let's read that again to yourself. All right, turn back to Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16, 18, that is. Deuteronomy 16, 18. What is it? 177. 177. 
chapter 16, verse 18. One seventy-eight. Feel like an auctioneer. One seventy-seven. One seventy-eight. <laughs> all right. Uh, chapter sixteen, verse eighteen. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge. So here's justice coming in. They shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Verse nineteen. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, so he tells a couple practical ways that you can pervert justice. And he says, don't do that. He wants to make sure that the people in, with legal authority in the land um, act in a just way. And in verse 20, there's a blessing that comes to the nation or to the people that are just. All right, go to Deuteronomy 24, 17. 24, 17. Page 185, Deuteronomy 24, 17, page 185. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner, like a refugee, or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Do you see in verse 17, it says justice is due to people. Justice is giving people what is rightly theirs. Justice is giving people what it is that they deserve. It is giving them what it is that God wants them to have. Then in verse 18, he says, don't forget, you used to be in slavery. And God rescued you from slavery. So don't forget that. And go to Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Flip one page over in the Blue Bible. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. So a curse comes when you don't let... Justice come. All right, let's go to Psalms. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 82. Page 546. Page 546. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Psalm 82, verse 3. 546. You all are awesome. Flipping and finding. These and the Bible's getting more and more familiar to you every time you flip it a little bit more, doesn't it? Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So... Y'all, the weak and needy, those are people who can't pay you back or do anything for you. Did y'all know that? 
Go to Proverbs 21, verse 3. Proverbs is right after Psalms. Proverbs 21, verse 3. It's on page 605. Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Flip to Proverbs 31, verse 8. Proverbs 31, verse 8. Page 615. Thank you, Creed. Thirty-one, verse eight and nine. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Okay, so there's some overlap between that and our passage in Job, right? Speaks about the poor and needy. Today in our world, there's an emphasis on the poor and the needy. And, and I, I just, as a side note, I think that many in our world are going way too far and are beginning to show an unjust form of favoritism to the poor. And in, uh, in Leviticus 19 and Exodus 23, it says, Do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. So I just say that as a side note because that's a problem that is really coming up in our world a lot. So we don't, you know, we serve the poor and the needy, but we don't unjustly show them favoritism. So we got to find that healthy balance in there. All right, we got three more, okay? Go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Isaiah 1, verse 17, it's page 630. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct or stop oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. You don't have to turn to this one. I've already shared it several times today. It's Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So now I turn to Matthew 23, and this is the last one. Matthew 23. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. All right, uh, Matthew 23, verse 23. That'll be page 919. Matthew 23, 23. Woe, this is Jesus, and he's blasting the religious leaders. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So what are the weightier matters of God's law? 
It has to do with justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You all, we know the two greatest commands of God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. You all, doing justice and and this mercy and this faithfulness, this has to do with loving our neighbor. Justice is the love of neighbor in so many ways. All right, let's go back to Job chapter 29, and we'll stay there for the rest of our day. Go back to Job 29, page 481. Thank you for going with me through all those verses. So in Job 29, Job is recounting his life before the tragedy hit. And in this passage and in many others before this passage, we learn that Job is a man who loves God and trusts God. And we know that God has blessed him. We know that Job is a man who has great influence. He may have held some type of office, um, but an authority, but we, don't, we can't say that for sure. But we know that he was a man of incredible influence. He was incredibly respected, and he was a man of great wealth. In his struggle, in his loss, he is recalling the life that he once lived. And some commentators will tell you that Job here is wrongly boasting of his self-righteousness or he's just kind of in the muck and the mire of self-pity. Job might be doing that in other parts of this book. I can't say for sure because I haven't studied the whole book in in great detail. But I will tell you this. Job is certainly not wallowing in self-righteousness or self-pity in this passage. He is grieving and remembering God's goodness and blessing that he once had that God has now taken away or allow, and allowed to be taken away from him. Notice in this passage the people that Job helped. Verse 12, the poor. Verse 12, the fatherless. Verse 13, the person who's about to die and the one who just lost her husband, the widow. Verse 15, he's helping the disabled. He's helping the blind. He's helping the lame. Verse 16, he's helping the needy. And he's even helping strangers that he does not know. In verse 17, he's helping people who are being taken advantage of. In verse 14, he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. The armor of God in Ephesians 6 comes to mind, does it not? A breastplate, a shield, a sword, a belt, shoes, right? The Bible talks about putting on and wearing good works as if they are clothing. I want to tell you, every one of you in here that is a Christian, I want to tell you that God didn't save you just so you can go to heaven. But Ephesians 2.10, chapter 2, verse 10 says that He created good things for you to do. He has prepared good works for you to do beforehand. And Job here says, I'm putting these good works, I'm putting on righteous deeds, and I'm putting on justice like my robe and my turban. Y'all aren't going to see me in my robe and I don't wear a turban, but you know what? I wore, I'm wearing a shirt, and I've worn a hat a lot this week because it's cold, and we've all been wearing jackets. He's saying, I put my jacket on. I I put righteous deeds on. I 
wore these as my clothing. Paul does this all the time. In Ephesians 4, he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. He says, put on your new nature. Paul says in Colossians 3, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. And above all, clothe yourself with love. You all, we are to wear good works and good deeds. We are to put these things on every single day. I, you don't drive out to Dollar General naked, do you? Well, I tell you what, don't leave your bedroom and your bathroom or your, your, your house without putting the clothing on of justice and righteous deeds. So, what is justice? What is it? There's a lot of different definitions. We need to get it right. There's, it primarily has to do with giving people what is due to them. And making things right. Okay, how many of y'all have ever made, did something wrong and messed somebody up before? Well, justice has to do with going and making things right. Justice also has to do with making things right when someone else does something wrong to someone else. And you coming in and making it right. So, we see this in at least three ways in the Bible. And these are the three that I've really seen in my study over the last couple years. We see justice having to be with our wages. In Deuteronomy 18.3, it says the Levitical priests, they were the people who handled the animal sacrifices in the tabernacle and temple. It says that they were due part of the animal that the people brought to them to sacrifice. You know, so they had this whole system of animal sacrifice. Well, the ones that really got their hands dirty were these people. And it says that those people were due. That's the word justice. D-U-E, due. They were due part of the animal as their wage, as what they earned from the work that they did so that their body, so that they could eat and have their most basic needs met. So it, it, Deuteronomy 24 and James 5, it says, pay people on time and pay them what you owe them, right? How many of y'all go to work, get a job, and they say your first paycheck's going to be six months? You wouldn't work that long, would you? But if they say next week or every two weeks, that's doable, isn't it? So, so our wages is one way that we see justice in the Bible, giving people what they deserve. A second way that we see the word justice in the Bible has to do with giving people the punishment that they des- deserve for the bad things that they've done. Whether that is putting a criminal in prison or capital punishment, or whether that is sending a rebellious sinner, and all sinners are rebellious, if God sends a, re- a sinner to hell... God is just in doing that. That is justice. So that is the second way that we see justice in the Bible is giving people what they deserve. Then this third aspect, and this is where we're going to focus today. It has to do with making wrong things right by giving people the most basic necessities of what is due to them. Look in verse 12. Job 29 verse 12. Job was making wrong things right for these people. I delivered the poor who cried for help. You all, there's a lot of reasons that people are poor. And when the poor are attacked or taken advantage of, the people taking advantage of them usually know that there's no way they can fight back. Maybe that's because they don't have money to hire a lawyer. Maybe that's because they aren't very educated or they aren't very intelligent and they don't know how to go and get things done and undo the damage that was caused by the person uh, doing that. 
Okay? Y'all, there's some really amazing people in this room. Some of you are absolutely, all of you are incredible. Some of you have extraordinary gifts that can really be used to help the poor overcome the difficulties that they experience. Look at the second part of verse 12. Job delivered the fatherless who had none to help him. Did you all know in our world today there are more slaves than there ever has been at any other point of history? That is uh, something that the International Justice Mission has, has made very clear and has worked very hard to make known. And some of you are familiar with that organization. You know who the primary target for today's slave trade is? It's a child who has no father. Because fathers protect, don't they? Fathers provide. Fathers lend strength to children and, and to their wives that, that they can get from nowhere else. And the slave trader knows he can pick off that 8-year-old or that 14-year-old much easier than he can pick off someone who comes from a home that is put together. Look at verse 13. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. You all, Job served people who were dying. You all, hospice care, there was a day when that was the job of the church. Did y'all know that? Job served the woman who lost her husband, and he says here, I brought joy to her. In one of the most difficult days of her life, Job brought joy to her. Look at verse 15. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. You all, Job served the disabled. Job gave the blind person a ride to the grocery store. He helped the lame person get where they needed to go. Verse 16. I was a father to the needy. Hold on. Does that mean it's not enough just to put five bucks in the Salvation Army ring-a-ling-ding-ding in December? Yes. That's not enough. You all, the poor need more than a handout. You all, it is true that the fatherless often don't have a provider. And that was especially true in biblical days because there were very few ways for women to support themselves. It's easier for a woman to support themselves today than it ever has been. But these fatherless weren't necessarily orphans. They, they likely had a mother, but not a father. And so he says, I was a father to the needy. People, the poor, need more than a handout. He says, I was a father. I want to tell you that all of us need men to show us what a real man is. And when I say a man in this context, I'm not talking about a 40-year-old person that acts like he's 25. I'm talking about a man as it is defined in the Bible. A man that provides, a man that loves, a man that serves, a man that listens, a man that defends, a man who fights when he needs to fight, and a man is one who's wise enough to know when to fight and when not to fight. You all are little girls. They need men to show them what a man is. And if we, as men don't show little girls what a real man is, then they're going to think that the way they're treated when they're older in life, when it's not good, is perfectly acceptable. 
the boys need men to show them what a man does and what a man is and how a man lives his life. Because if boys don't have real men in their life, then they're going to grow up and they're going to act like a kid when they're 45 years old. And they're going to take advantage of people that they shouldn't take advantage of. And they're going to think that life is all about them and their lusts and their satisfaction and their appetite and their status and their wealth and all any number of things. You all, Job was a father. And I want to tell you, men, you can be a father to your children. That doesn't need to be said. But you can be a father to many others. You all, I have at least a half dozen spiritual fathers who have taught me what it's like to be a man. Some of them have kicked me in my rear end so hard. But it was one of the most loving things that they have ever done. Others have just encouraged me just to run to God and they've shown me how to treat a woman and and, and my children. You all, we need fathers. And Job... He was a father. He was a father to the needy. You all, the poor, need more than just a handout. They need a person. Okay, verse 16. I searched out the cause, second part. I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. So he heard about something that was wrong, and he went, and he tried to fix it. Verse 17. You all, put, put your boxing gloves on. Who's got them on? You got them on? But wake up. You can't fall asleep in the boxing ring, okay? you got to wake up. Verse 17, he broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. You all, church people avoid this. You all, as, as speaking of the church generally, we need to repent of this. Church people don't like to break the fangs of other people, do we? You all, this is a call to fight evil. And generally speaking, most Christians are way too passive, way too passive. Uh, You know, I'm just going to stay in my lane. I ain't going to worry about that. Sometimes that's the right thing to do, but many times it's not. Many times it's a cop out. I'm just going to mind my own business. You know, sometimes that's the right thing to do. But I think we mind our business a little bit too much. And it's time to break some things from the unrighteous. You know, Jesus' life is pretty exciting, right? You know, one of the most exciting times of Jesus' life is when he went in that temple a few days before he died on that cross and he overturned those tables and he got a whip and he drove the money changers and the unrighteous people out. He ripped their fangs out, didn't he? And if my Lord can do that, if our Lord can do that, then, hey, any of us can do that when God is in us. So I see this. Verse 17, in in all this passage, we are fighting the battles of people who can't fight the battle for themselves. Verse 17 is a call to advocacy, and it takes many different forms. It could mean, and this came up in our discussion, it could mean showing up on someone's doorstep and saying to them, what you are doing is not right, and I want you to stop. Will you stop it? And just be quiet. And let them respond or let them close the door in your face or punch you. So that's one way to break the fangs out of the unrighteous. You all, you can, did you know you can make a public statement at the, county, at the monthly county commissioner's meeting? 
I've made two statements in the last four months, maybe the last three months. And there's even a way you can email the statement in. It's got to be less than five minutes. They'll give you up to five minutes, which in my opinion is incredible. But you can say, you can speak to them and it's read publicly. I've done that two of the last four months. And I would encourage you to pay attention to what's going on in local politics because it will affect all of us if you don't. So that's one form of advocacy. Back in July, I traveled, I made a day trip to Raleigh. I said, stop murdering babies. I did that. Wish I could do it more often. And I want to tell you that our government is beginning to try to be in charge of things they have no business being in charge of. And as I prayed earlier, the government of Canada, the national government of Canada, is outlawing certain parts of the biblical message and is telling God's people, you may not say that to anyone, and if you do, we're going to lock you up. So there's going to be a lot of pastors that are going to get arrested next week. When our government says, shh, we say no. And we tell them to repent. You all, breaking the fangs of the unrighteous, God's people are going to have to do that more and more to our government in the decades ahead than we've ever had to do in our nation. I feel so strongly about that. We need to make the powerful people let go of the weak. You all, in our nation, we're talking about oppression, right? In our nation, one of the most oppressed groups of people is the preborn person. The one who is one or two or three or five or six or seven or eight or nine months old from conception that hasn't been born yet. That baby that's on the way is a person made in the image of God. And we live in a world where children are no longer considered a blessing by many Many people in our world think that they are entitled to have as much sex as they want to with anybody that they want to, and they shouldn't have to bear the consequences of it, and that is just not true. And since 1973, approximately 70 million people have been murdered through abortion, and in our nation today, anywhere between 1,700 and 2,000 abortions are performed every day. So Proverbs 24.11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Proverbs 24.11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. My in-laws and my wife, too, when she was a child, participated in ministry at abortion clinics. You all, the nearest abortion clinic to us is about an hour away. I'm not driving up there every week to do that. I believe I'm called to do other things. There's an abortion clinic in Greenville, South Carolina, and I've been following a group of people who minister there six days a week. And they started two and a half years ago. And this week, the 76th person who was walking in that building decided to turn around and leave. Because of those people. 76 people have been saved in two and a half years. 76 mamas were going in there to bring an end to their baby's life. And they changed their mind because people were working to stop oppression. I love what's going on. So I ask you, you know, I'm not able to just go to the abortion clinic, you know, once a week or once a month or every other day. 
But as far as advocacy go, you know, whose fangs are you going to rip out? Okay? What form of oppression are you going to stop? What realm of influence do you have? Right? All of us have some, right? And, and, and for me, how I've been trying to do this in my life is, is through preaching the Word of God here and also through public conversation and, and particularly within social media and sprinkled with some light political engagement. That's how I've done it, and I'm looking to expand this in the years ahead. But I want to tell you, there is much more to fighting for people and helping the oppressed than just speaking the truth of God. Some of us in here, we aren't ever going to speak to a group of people. And we certainly aren't ever going to speak to a whole group of people and say, you all better repent right now. Okay? So, so that, that's not the job for all of God's people. There are other jobs for God's people. Okay? So there's the ministry of, of that prophetic voice, right? Telling people what to do. But there's also a ministry of service. And that's where we're going in the next few months. That's the work that God has given us to do. I've been praying, God, how do we do justice? How do we stop oppression in our community? This is, God has answered that with this safe haven baby box ministry. You all, God is calling us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about this organization, Safe Haven Baby Boxes. There's a lady named Monica. I spoke with her about five weeks ago. She lives in Arizona currently. When Monica, well, I'll say this. When she was a day or two old, she was found in a dumpster. She was found in a dumpster. She was alive, and strong, and healthy. She was found in a dumpster. She was adopted by a family that loves Jesus. She grew up to become a paramedic and an EMT. When she was 37 years old, she met her birth mother. And her birth mother told her the horrific story and everything that happened. Her birth mother found out she was pregnant in 1972, a year before Roe v. Wade, where abortion became illegal. And her birth mother went to an underground abortion clinic. And before the procedure took place, her birth mother ran out. And she went into hiding. She ran away she, for a few months. She had the baby all by herself. And then she went and put the baby in a dumpster. And not too long after that, she returned back to her community. So at 37 years old, this woman, Monica, is learning all about this. A few months later, Monica was in South Africa, and she saw a baby box. They have them over there. She thought, wow, maybe if we have those in the United States, moms won't feel like they have to just throw their baby in a dumpster. And the Lord spoke to her, and she started this organization, and there's well over 100 of these boxes throughout our nation right now. There's a group in Ash County near Greensboro, North Carolina, that is working to, they'll probably get the first one in, and we are currently working to get a second one in, and we want it here in Gates County. Yes, Jen? I feel like you're assuming we know what it is. Can you please tell us what a baby box is? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, and, and, And I'm getting ready to. Yeah, and I have, um, and, and I know not everyone's here for everything. Um, the, ba- the baby box is installed in a, at a fire department or a hospital 
or possibly an EMT station or police a police station. And it's a really fancy high-tech box. There's no video cameras around it anywhere. And it's a place where a woman can deliver her baby and surrender all of her parental rights. The box is cooled in the summer. It's heated into the winter, in the winter, so it's safe and comfortable for the baby. As soon as that door is open, three silent alarms go off. And three minutes after that door is shut, the goal is to have paramedics there within that amount of time to get the baby, take it to the hospital for full health evaluation, and then the baby will, you know, the work will be done to find that baby a home. So Monica started, so that's what the baby box is. Monica started this to prevent the illegal abandonment of newborns. This baby box is more than just given somewhere for a given a woman a place to give up her baby. It's so much more than that. Wherever these baby boxes are installed, people learn about the safe haven laws in our nation. Raise your hand if you know about the safe haven law. Okay, four of you. Okay, so four out of what? Almost 20 probably. Okay. The safe haven law, and every state has one in our nation. The safe haven law says that a, a newborn can be dropped off at a hospital or a fire station. And the mother legally surrenders all her parental rights and the baby goes into the foster care system. So it, it happens. And wherever these boxes have been installed, fewer um, babies have been found in dumpsters. And the number of abortions in that community always decreases as well. And that's not necessarily because 18 babies are put in that box every single year. Many boxes are in operations for years before they have their first baby dropped off. But wherever that baby box goes, that community hears how precious babies are. And that baby, and what this organization does is they work with the people locally, which is us. That organization helps publicize the resources that are available to help women who are with child. There's a 24-hour hotline for mothers in crisis. The baby box is a last resort. You all, I first heard about this in late November, early December, and I just felt deep down inside of me that the Lord wants me to give my life to this, and I'm calling you all with me. I, Joe and I have talked about it. Where This is something we want to do as a church. Um, right now, I'm, I'm, there's about four or five churches that have pledged their support for this. We are in the early days of planning this. I want you all to work with me. I want us to work together as a church to make this happen. You have questions, and they're good questions, and I'm going to take the time to answer them today and in the weeks ahead. So ask all your questions. I'm not trying to answer every one of them right now. This is a strange thing. It really is a strange and a unique thing. So I'm going to close with this. What do I want you to do? I want you to do what Job did. And I want you to put on righteousness, let it clothe you. I want your justice to be like your jacket and your stocking cap. I want us to do like Job did. Secondly, I want you to keep a few things in mind. You all, Job had more wealth and influence than any of us in here, right? 
If you haven't been a part of the ministry of being a father to the needy or ripping out the fangs of the unrighteous or helping the poor and the helpless, I want you to know you shouldn't expect to just jump into all of this stuff right now and get it all figured out. These are not easy ministries to get into. I want you to know that no single one of us in here can do everything that Job did all the time. Okay, sometimes we hear stuff like this, like, oh, i got to figure out how to do all this, and we're just crushed by the weight and the burden of it. You can't do all this stuff that Job did, okay? But all of us can do some of these things, right? All of us can do some good in this world. And I'll say this too. We can do more when we do it together. Third thing I want you to do, I want you to pay attention in the weeks and months ahead. There will be many needs and many opportunities to serve. You know, the most detailed info will probably be by email. You're going to hear it from up here on Sunday mornings. Pay attention. There's many opportunities to serve. I would like you to plan to be available as much as you can to serve with this. You all, we're going to need people to make phone calls to others. We're going to need people to work with event coordination. We're going to need people to work in administration. We're going to need people to work in fundraising. And we're going to need you to tell people about this ministry. We're going to need people to, we're going to need you to forward emails to other people. We're going to need you to like that video on YouTube and comment on it so that more people see it. We're going to need you to share, hit click the share button on Facebook when that post goes up there. There is a lot to do and, and, and I'm just scratching the surface for you today, but God has called us to this and we are going to be a blessing to our oppressed neighbors in this community. The last thing I want you today to do today is I want to remember, I want you to remember where you were. Remember where you once were before God became a part of your life. Some of those verses that we read about justice when we were flipping through so many different pages it said, remember when you were in slavery in Egypt and remember how I delivered you. Y'all, that slavery that God's people spent in Egypt is a picture of us and our sin. And that deliverance and salvation that God brought for them when he rescued them from Pharaoh, when he rescued them from slavery and they walked through that Red Sea into the promised land, into freedom, into a relationship with God that they did not have before. You all, that's what God has done for us. As you think about the poor, as you think about the needy, as you think about people who would do such horrible things to their preborn children, I want you to remember who you once were. We were helpless. We were lost in our sin. We had no spiritual life. We could not go up the ladder fast enough to get to God. In fact, we couldn't even find the ladder to climb up to get to God because there was no ladder to get up to God. Instead of us going up to God, God came down to us. His name is Jesus. And this ministry of justice, this ministry of serving the poor and the helpless is a picture of the gospel. It is a we we are doing for others what Jesus does for us. God loves you all, and he offers salvation to us. Let us celebrate that. Let us think on that. Let us meditate on that. And let us give our lives to doing the same for others.
Let's pray.